0: You're tuning in to Don't Sleep New York, a podcast for the New Yorker who wants to stay up on policy and politics in the city that never sleeps. My name is Arpon, and I'm joined by Matt and Ronajoy. We're three New Yorkers who are trying to become more informed about the inner workings of our city and we wanna take you along for the ride. We know we've been quiet for a bit, but we're officially back and here to help you start your journey to the next important election for New Yorkers. That's right, the race for the governor's seat, with the primary coming up this June and the general election in November. So for the rest of this season, we'll be unpacking the topics and candidates that you'll need to know to make an informed decision in the voting booth. And today we're gonna kick things off talking about every New Yorker's favorite. The MTA. Now we could unpack all of the MTA's issues and talk about things like safety, the need for an improved bus system, and the list goes on. But today we're going to primarily focus on the management of the MTA, how the state and the city interact, and of course, the money. You start to follow the money, and you don't know where the fuck it's going to take you. So let's start with some background. What is the MTA? Who owns the MTA? All right. So I think the most
1: common misconception is that the MTA is a part of the state and that it is run purely by the public. But it's actually this strange structure called the Public Benefit Corporation, which means uh, it manages a public good, in this case, transportation, but it is technically not owned by the state. And we'll get through this structure in a little bit because there are members of the state and the city who elect or nominate people to be part of the MTA, but it is technically a separate organization.
0: It's not owned by New York City, and it's not owned by New York State necessarily. Correct. It's a corporation, just a a public benefit corporation, but it is a corporation.
1: And what really, what does that designation really give the MTA? Uh, I think two things. Um, The one is that it makes it a little more apolitical. So it's not necessarily beholden to whoever is elected, that they can just kind of change the course of it to benefit their particular political needs. You can imagine how contentious an increase in the fair price would be if it's taken on by one political party or another. Um, And the second thing is that because it's a public benefit corporation, any of the, say, larger funding projects that it undertakes, that it, it needs to raise debt in order to do these things, that debt does not
0: actually count against like the credit rating of the city or the state. So, so let's talk about who actually comprises the MTA. Who's in charge? Who's running this place?
2: So essentially, the, the board is made up of 21 members. Um, I think Matt alluded to the fact that it's a combination of people who are put into power by both the mayor and the governor to balance New York City and New York State. But the important part here is the CEO is specifically nominated by the governor and approved by the state senate.
1: Okay. So, and I think that's an important point because I think another thing as somebody who's been a New Yorker and uses the MTA all the time is you kind of assume that it's a city entity uh, and that it would be led by the city and that maybe the mayor is the most important figure in managing the MTA. But that's... That's not the case. The mayor is important, but it is actually the governor who appoints the CEO of the entire organization.
2: And primarily that kind of leads into the, the second misconception where the MTA is not just the New York City subway. It's actually comprised of much more. So including a Long Island Railroad, Metro North, bridges actually in New York State, as well as our bus system in the city, as well as the subway.
0: Okay, so if the MTA is run by this independent board, four of which are nominated by the mayor, four of which are nominated by the governor, but the governor does get a little bit more control here because one of those four that the governor nominates is also the CEO of the organization. So there is, in fact, some political nature to how the MTA is managed, and we've seen that come to play in the last few years with how Cuomo and de Blasio would compete over the MTA and we can definitely unpack that governor mayor relationship in a little bit but it's important to keep in mind that while the MTA is run by an independent board there is still some weight of power given to the state in terms of how the MTA is managed
2: yeah it's a, it's another arena for the proxy battle between the governor and the mayor
0: so we alluded to this earlier but let's dig into the money a little bit what's going on under the hood at the MTA
1: Maybe the most important place to start is actually back during the financial crisis of, of 2008. Um, and this, I think, gives an important history uh, of how the MTA got to the place it is today, which is that its debt and its financial burden is one of the bigger emergencies that it's had in, in many decades. And so un- until the financial crisis, uh, the amount of money it was raising was rising pretty steadily with the costs in a way that was quite even. And then the financial crisis... Uh, led to this point where those things split dramatically. And so the costs have been rising much higher ever since than the actual
0: revenue coming into the MTA. And we're talking about over ten years, even before the pandemic added another hit to the MTA's revenues, while the costs were probably just as high. Mm-hmm. and it's it's important to consider like where that funding comes from. so the the main reason
1: uh, for that original disparity is that there was a particular tax, uh, that funded a large portion of the MTA that was derived from real estate transactions in New York. Yeah. The mortgage and so tax. once that, the uh, mortgage tax, right. And so once the financial crisis hit, the volume of those went down significantly. And so the amount of money coming in was much less. And this wasn't something that could really be properly forecasted or planned for. And so in a lot of ways, in order to cover that because the MTA can't stop service and it's one of the only 24-hour transit systems in the world. Um, And so it can't stop service. So in order to continue covering its costs, it has to raise debt. And then once it's raising more debt, it has to service that debt. So it's paying increased amounts of interest as well over time. And in a lot of ways, that leads to kind of a vicious cycle where the costs just keep increasing in order to cover them and continue running you have to continually take on more debt. Well, the MTA is underfunded and operating at a loss. And over half their capital budget is money they borrow by issuing bonds. And every time
0: they issue a bond, they get charged a fee by the state. And it's state funding cuts that force them to issue the bonds in the first place. And in the last 15 years, the MTA has paid the state over 328.
2: yeah, uh, and I, and I think there are a, f- a few more trends there, there was the loss in revenue from some of those dedicated
0: taxes, specifically the mortgage tax. The real estate state continues. It's just another way we don't realize that real estate is paying for the subways.
1: yeah, the dependency the whole city has on on real estate. yeah. And then
0: generally, there's
1: been
2: a ridership decrease um, specifically during Covid, and that's probably one of the headlines you see often is that we're not even close to what the ridership pre-COVID was, which continues just to hit the MTA in its debt burden it has. I think one of the interesting points that came up when we were reading up about this is the MTA is unique in the sense that it's one of the largest metropolitan transportation systems, but there's no actual direct federal funding from it. So some of the other countries that have a similar system, so let's say London and their tube system, they do get direct federal funding and the MTA doesn't, which is quite a big discrepancy on where to cover this debt.
1: Yeah. And so obviously there's been some federal funding during the financial crisis and during COVID, but that's much different than a regularly federally funded part of the budget. Um, And I think we can also get into the fact that there, there is a state contribution, but that has actually been gutted over the last 10 years. I think there's something like $1.7 billion less of state funding across that period in time. And so one of the bigger things that passed in state budget a few years ago
2: or in 2020 is the $55 billion plan to essentially save slash fix the MTA. And of that $55 billion, a significant portion will go to the New York City subway specifically on signal issues as well as Just
0: general track improvements. It is interesting to note that so much of the money that the MTA gets and the funding, even during the pandemic, any sort of emergency relief funding, it's just to maintain the status quo. So if you're a subway rider and you're complaining about the improvements you want to see to the subway, a lot of this funding isn't being dedicated towards that. It's actually just going towards the cost of maintenance. It's paying interest payments too on all the debt they have already. Yeah, just maintaining the status quo is expensive in itself. It's,
1: it's actually a very modern American thing. The, the MTA is living paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> it's very hard to get out of poverty. So it's, it's honestly like the, the, what it is. It's very comparable to that problem. And, and kind of
2: delving deeper into that, as we had mentioned that the MTA is much bigger than just a subway. When you look at a breakdown of the different parts of the MTA, the actually, the most self-sufficient part is the bridges. Those are very low maintenance, get tolls, very few workers. Best margin for the MTA also. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the subway, while having the most employees, uh, does do well for the amount of expenses it incurs. The worst is actually the bus system, which is quite interesting because that's something we've wanted, especially as Individuals who live in Brooklyn and the subway doesn't necessarily cater to us traveling within Brooklyn, but more so getting it to Manhattan. We've been advocates to push for the bus system, but it's actually the lack of ridership, the amount of expenses around the buses and employees, which is very not cost efficient.
1: Yeah, I thought that there was an interesting point about some of the the cost burden the MTA bears is in employee salaries and pensions. They had. At some point, they tried to incentivize further participate, further uh, uh, more people wanting to actually work for the MTA by creating like a ten year pension program where, after just ten years of working there, you'd be eligible for a pension, which is a, a great incentive. But the problem is a lot of people worked for ten years and then went to do something else or, or whatever. But they're now the MTA is is paying that pension. So it's it's paying it has a very heavy burden actually on on paying its employees and former employees in a way that has kind of caught up to it. And I, I think one of the another important point
2: to consider is one the governor who has a lot of control over the MTA funding sits at a state level, and the MTA primarily impacts only part of the state. Well, I understand that's a large percent of the population. That's something interesting to consider, especially with an outsider, a New York City outsider like Kathy Hochul, at the helm of the governorship right now, will there be you know, less focus on the city because she's not from here and she needs to continue to get her votes from other places? And then aside from that, I think a huge trend amongst mayors slash governors in New York has been... That any type of project related to the MTA, specifically the subway, is such a long-dated project that the point at which you get the most positive PR is the announcement. And it's not actually the execution. And that's why often we don't actually see projects followed through on. The Second (laughs) Avenue subway is, is a great example of that. That's something that was referenced in a Mad Men episode in 1960. And it was the first part of it was only completed
1: very recently. And so what, I mean, we had mentioned at the beginning that because the MTA is not a state agency, right? It's this public benefit corporation. So you would think that in some ways it would be shielded from that type of, uh, those political issues that are very term bound. um, And that maybe it would be easier to undertake long-term projects. But I, I guess what you're saying here is that there's still so much funding and organization that the MTA relies on the state for, that state dysfunction does have a significant impact on the MTA's ability to execute long-term plans. And that's a great segue into
2: things to look out for in this year's gubernatorial primary. One of the parts of this $55 billion plan that is looking to put the MTA back in good stead is coming from
1: the congestion tax. And as we know- As a way to actually, given all the debt, how
0: are we gonna pay for this plan? One of the primary ideas is the congestion tax. The congestion tax, just for those who maybe haven't heard about it since it passed in 2019 actually, and it still hasn't been implemented. It's basically this idea that the quote unquote business districts of Manhattan will see a higher tax for any automobile traffic that's coming into the city. The government has agreed on doing the congestion tax But they haven't come to terms on what areas get taxed, who gets taxed, and by how much. So it doesn't seem like there's much clarity on how to actually execute that
2: tax in order to get the money in the door to then eventually fix the problems we have in the MTA. So that will be one of the big things, not only on Mayor Adams's plate, but whoever does win the gubernatorial seat on his or her plate
1: as well. Okay. So before we we get going, let's go over what we think are the key takeaways to understand about the MTA. So I'll, I'll start. The first thing is that the MTA is not a state entity. It is a public benefit corporation. And so that's really important in terms of understanding how it functions together with the state, but technically separate.
2: Number two, while the New York City subway is the biggest part of the MTA, the MTA's purview is much larger than just the New York City subway. It also includes New York City buses. It includes bridges and tunnels, LIRR, and Metro North
1: as well. And third, with that in mind, uh, again, the MTA is not just New York City. And so in a lot of ways, the governor has more of an impact than the mayor does. But it is a, a sort of a collaboration between both of them, along with politicians from some counties surrounding New York, it's New York City itself. And I think the last thing to consider uh, is that, from a financial standpoint, the MTA loses a lot of money right now. It spends a lot of money on interest payments for its debt and ability to finance its future projects is one of the key points to consider when looking at the governor's election because there are things like the congestion pricing scheme, which would give a lot of money towards the MTA's projects, but unless those are properly implemented by the state, it will be very difficult for the MTA to, to stay afloat financially.
2: As they say, an idea without
0: execution is just a dream. This episode is just the start on what could be a deep dive on the state of the MTA, but we hope it helps you kickstart your own research into the upcoming governor's race and one of the key issues to look out for. Keep up with Don't Sleep New York this season as we unpack more about the candidates for governor and the platforms they stand on to help you make the most informed decision in the primary election this June. To stay up to date, follow at Don't Sleep NY on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us help more citizens like you get informed. The music you heard on this episode was provided by Brooklyn-based artist and producer, Jackery. This was also our first time recording remotely using Riverside FM. So thanks for bearing with us as we get back into the flow of things. We'll see you all in a few weeks. Until then, you know the drill. Don't sleep.